0: Well, good morning. I'd like to start by asking you a question. Are you ready for Christmas? It's a question that's often asked at this time of year. Um, This is the first Sunday in Advent, so if you're not ready for Christmas, you only have 25 days to finish your Christmas shopping. And I think anyone who celebrates Christmas uses this time, even if it's right at the last minute on Christmas Eve typically men, am I allowed to say that, to prepare to get ready for the big day. Advent is a time of looking forward to Christmas. Whether you're just looking forward to time with family and friends, however different that might be this year due to COVID, to decorations and presents, or you're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. Although for many people, Advent has lost much of its religious significance. It used to be a period very similar in nature to Lent and the preparation for Easter. No one seems to be really sure when Advent was first celebrated, but it dates back to at least 567 when monks were ordered to fast during December leading up to Christmas. And some people still fast during Advent to help them concentrate on preparing to celebrate Jesus' coming. Orthodox Christians, for example, often don't eat meat and dairy during Advent. And depending on the specific day, also avoid olive oil, wine and fish. So why do we celebrate Christmas? Well, obviously, we're marking the birth of Jesus in that stable in Bethlehem. But why is that so significant? It's not primarily because Jesus was born, though I'm sure we've all sometimes celebrated with a friend and family the birth of a new baby. The reason we celebrate is because of who Jesus is and what he did during his time on earth. And as we remind ourselves of the biblical narratives of Jesus' birth during the next few weeks, we'll see the evidence that reveals his unique nature. The first piece of evidence can be seen in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, and Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Mary today would be classified as a teenage pregnancy. She was probably in her early to mid-teens. She was unmarried, although betrothal was a serious commitment, very little less than marriage in the culture of their day. But culturally, we don't always see the shock and scandal of this. Our society has downgraded the importance of marriage. And so many couples now live together and even have a family before they consider marriage, if they ever do. But for Mary and Joseph, their situation was serious. Mary could have been stoned for having sex outside of marriage. And if she escaped that fate, she would have had little hope for a decent marriage with her reputation ruined. And it wouldn't have been much better for Joseph. With his wife to be pregnant, whether it was his child or another's, his reputation would also be mud. But despite this, they both obeyed God and submitted to his will. And the virgin birth marked Jesus as unique. And that unique birth is important because it shows us a number of things about Jesus and our salvation through him. Firstly, it reminds us that salvation ultimately comes from God and not through human effort. Jesus was born through the work of God, not of human desire and intent. He came into the world to redeem us. Galatians 4, 4 4-5 tells us, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as children. It's only through the supernatural work of God that we can be saved. And this is the unique feature of Christianity. Every other religion tries to earn salvation by following particular rules and patterns of behavior. But salvation is the free gift to us from God. All we have to do is accept it. And secondly... If God had made a human body for Jesus and he had come down from heaven in that body, we could doubt his humanity. If Jesus had been conceived in the normal way and his divine nature was miraculously united with his human nature at some point, we could doubt his divinity. The combination of human and divine in the person of Jesus is made evident in his birth. His human nature comes through his ordinary birth. By a human mother, and his divine nature through the work of the Holy Spirit in his conception. We can see he's both fully human and fully divine. And thirdly, by the unique nature of his conception and birth, Jesus didn't have the same link back to Adam and original sin that we all inherit. Since Jesus didn't have a biological human father, that link was partially broken. Hence, the the legal guilt, the moral corruption that belongs to all other human beings, didn't belong to Jesus. In Luke 1.35, the angel Gabriel told Mary, "'The Holy Spirit will come upon you. "'The power of the Most High will overshadow you. "'Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. "'He will be called the Son of God.'" Holy means exalted or worthy of complete devotion, as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. Being holy is something we're all called to be, 1 Peter 1.15. But only God is truly holy. And as God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, so was Jesus. At Christmas, God came down into his world in the person of his Son, as one of us, a human being. Christmas isn't a time to celebrate for itself, an excuse for a party. It's a time to celebrate because the baby in the manger became the man who died, nailed by the Romans to a cross, rejected and condemned by his own people, the Jews, some 33 years later, and was raised to life again. It was only through his combined nature, fully God and fully man, revealed in his incarnation and birth, that Jesus was able to act as the ultimate sacrifice in this way. By his holiness, his complete lack of sin, Jesus didn't have a penalty of his own to pay, that penalty that each of us has earned by our rebellion against God and our sin. By paying our penalty, dying our death, Jesus was able to restore our relationship with God and adopt us into God's family. To do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, no matter how hard we try, no matter how good our lives appear in human terms. But Advent's also a time to look forward to when Jesus comes again, when he'll come in glory to judge the living and the dead. Now, it's easy to think that Jesus won't come again. After all, it's been nearly 2,000 years since his death and resurrection. Even in the early church, a few years after Jesus' life, there were questions about when Jesus would come again. Peter responded to this in 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10, where he said, The Lord isn't slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. And Paul, similarly, in today's readings, had to deal with the concerns of those in Thessalonica who were worried that Christians who had died were going to miss out on Jesus' return and were speculating on where that return might be. The images that Peter and Paul use give an impression of the surprise that Jesus' return will be when it happens. After all, a thief burgling your house is completely unexpected, otherwise you'd have the police waiting. Labor at the end of pregnancy, from Paul's letter, isn't something that can be readily predicted. Yes, doctors can estimate a due date, but babies have a mind of their own when it comes to actually being born. You can plan for the day, you can be prepared, but you still get caught out when it actually happens. So for those who are not Christians, who haven't accepted Jesus as their Lord, that last day is going to be completely unexpected and it's going to be disastrous as they stand before Jesus to face judgment for their sins. They're going to be like that sleeping homeowner who wakes to find he's been robbed and he's lost everything he values. But for those of us who have accepted Jesus, we should be looking forward to that day. We should have no fear of judgment. We don't know when it'll be, the Bible gives us some of the signs that will indicate the end is near, but we don't know when it'll happen, only that it'll be sudden. As Paul puts it in verses 5 and 6 of 1 Thessalonians 5, we are not of the darkness to be surprised by the day. We need to be actively serving our Lord and prepared for his coming. As some of you know, I recently stopped working. And during my last week at work, I was talking to a recruitment agent I've known for many years. And during the discussion, we talked about the things I was aiming to get done before I finished. He was surprised. He said he would have been just filling in time long before then if he knew he was leaving somewhere. Whether it's in our daily work or in our Christian service, we have a choice. If the end is near, do we sit back and wait? or do we work on? But why should we be working? Well, there are two main reasons. Thinking back to your school days, I'm sure we've all been in a class where the teacher has had to step out for a few minutes, and after a while, he hasn't come back, and the room has erupted into chaos. What happens when the teacher returns? There were undoubtedly consequences that followed. Jesus told the disciples to be on the lookout and be ready for his, his coming. And then he warned them in parables, such as the unfaithful slave in Matthew 24, verses 47 and 50. The slave thought, my master's not going to come back soon. He neglected his tasks. He abused the other sl- uh, slaves that been put under him. He even raided his master's wine cellar and got drunk. And then he got caught out and punished when his master returned unexpectedly and similarly in the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids in matthew 25 five of the girls were ready they were prepared they brought extra oil and five weren't the five that were ready went in and enjoyed the wedding feast the five that weren't missed out In Luke 21, 34 to 36, Jesus was very specific while talking to the disciples about his second coming. He said, Be on your guard, so that your hearts are not weighed down with the dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things will take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. But that prospect, like the unruly class of facing the high jump, getting into trouble because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, is the lesser of the two reasons. The main reason for us to be working as we wait for Jesus is in verse 9 of our reading today. For God has destined us not for wrath but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may well have heard people asking, are you saved? When they mean, have you experienced repentance and conversion to a faith in God through Jesus? But this isn't the usual meaning of salvation in the Bible. The biblical use of salvation refers to the point of coming to the end of our lives and there being proved acceptable to God. Salvation is to do with our eternal destiny, the final outcome of our lives. To answer the question, what will Jesus say to us when he returns in glory as judge? We seek to serve Christ, therefore, so that we can say, as Paul did in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8, to I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul was looking forward with confidence to seeing Jesus face to face and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. As we look forward to Christmas, however different and difficult it may be this year, let's make sure we look forward as well as back. We celebrate the birth of Jesus, born as a human being, born in a stable at a point in history, not for that event itself. We celebrate because Jesus is God's son. And at that point in time, he came into the world he had made, made as one of us. He lived a life in full obedience to God's will, even to the point of dying on the cross where he bore the sins of the world. Jesus died for your sin. He died for my sin. He made it possible for us to be brought into a right relationship with God, something we couldn't do for ourselves. And that same Jesus is coming again, and we need to be ready. If you haven't accepted Jesus as your Lord, haven't accepted his gift of eternal life, you need to do so. We don't know when he'll come. We don't know when disease or accident or anything else might claim us and close off our opportunity for salvation because it is only open during this life. And if we reject him too many times, we desensitize our soul and our conscience to hear his call and we lose the opportunity that way too. If you have accepted Jesus, we need to be working for him, living in obedience to him, being faithful witnesses through our lives and our words. Let's not get caught out. As 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, let us be sober, fully equipped and armed for spiritual warfare, standing ready at our posts when Jesus comes. I started with the question, are you ready for Christmas? I want to finish with another one. If Jesus returned today, are you ready?